Hi, I'm Isa Kwonga. And I'm Ryan Hun. And we co-host Stadio, a football podcast on the Ringer Podcast Network. If you like soccer or football, make sure you search for Stadio, a football podcast on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Town is brought to you by FX's The Bear, starring Jeremy Allen White, Ayo Adebri, and Eben Moss Backrack. Season two follows as the crew work to transform their grimy sandwich joint into a next level spot. It turns out the only thing harder than running a restaurant is opening a new one. Television Academy members can watch all episodes at fxnetworks.com slash FYC. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. It is Monday, May 22nd. The television upfronts wrapped up this past week in New York. If you're unfamiliar, those are the annual presentations for advertisers where they go through all the new fall shows and wine and dine the brand reps and argue why they should be spending billions of dollars on TV, not YouTube. Although YouTube now does its own presentation. I didn't go. I'm not an upfronts fan parties mostly suck and everything's webcast these days. Plus, this year, the writer's strike prevented stars and showrunners from even participating. Instead, we saw people like Damar Hamlin and Greg Gutfeld on stage. But there was one new and interesting thing at the upfronts. Netflix. After years of saying it would never sell advertising and kind of looking down on the whole ad market, Netflix now sells ads. They've offered the cheaper ad tier on Netflix for about six months now. They said they've got about 5 million ad tier subscribers. Not bad for that amount of time, but a small fraction of the 230 million subscribers worldwide. Still, there were the top executives, Ted Sarandos and Greg Peters, doing their own pitch to these same advertisers, arguing why Netflix is the best platform for ads. They had some good arguments. The level of viewing kind of blows away all the other streamers, three times the others combined, they said. And they positioned their entry into ads as the equivalent of inventing the binge model for shows. Innovative, they said. I'm not so sure about that. But it was a decent pitch, especially since Netflix scrapped a live upfront in favor of a taped presentation because of the strike. Yet it comes at an important and pretty challenging time for both Netflix and the entire video industry. The upfront U.S. ad commitments will be down about 3% this year to a little less than $19 billion for this TV season, according to Insider Intelligence. And there are a bunch of new players in the space jockeying for those ads. Netflix, Disney+, Plus, as of tomorrow, Max, formerly HBO Max. So we're going to get into this today with Lucas Shaw from Bloomberg. It's the unsexy but super important advertising market, how it impacts what we all watch. From The Ringer and Puck, I'm Matt Bellany, and this is The Town. 
All right, we are here with Lucas Shaw, and we are talking about the television upfronts. Welcome, Lucas. You're not in New York anymore. You're in Madrid. Where are you now? I'm in. I'm in Madrid. I was in Cannes over the weekend, so I've been on two planes since since we last saw each other. All right. So let's talk about the TV upfronts because this is an annual ritual. All of the Hollywood executives go to New York for a week, show their wares. The ad buyers pretend to be interested. They make commitments to buy ads for the new season, and everyone goes home and toasts, you know, has a steak and says, job well done. This year, a little different, Netflix in the mix. And I watched the presentation. I found it, you know, pretty average and normal, what you would expect from most of these companies. The only little pieces of flair that Netflix added was very Netflix-y, where they purported to be innovators in the space basically saying, we're just like all the other ad platforms, except we're special. We can do things on Netflix that you can't do in other platforms. We can tell a story in advertising, Ted Sarandos told us. He said that you could potentially have the same ad playing on different days for the same user where they would see an ongoing story, and you can't do that elsewhere. And they basically touted the Netflix effect on how everything is better on Netflix. Were, were you convinced by Netflix that they are innovative and that they are going to be disruptive in the ad space here? Well, so you have to remember that all of these presentations are sort of exercises in puffery where people are just, you know, they're they're trying to tell a story to make themselves look good. NBC Universal every year would bash the social media companies and now their head of advertising sales who would do that every year is running one of those companies, perhaps the least ad-friendly in Twitter. Twitter, yes. As for as for Netflix, I mean, look, I think the the argument of the Netflix effect is is quite compelling. You know, you look at um, they've gotten a lot of a lot of um, crap or people have said, oh, you, you know, you can't become a star on Netflix. Things come and go really quickly. But if we're being honest with ourselves, most of the biggest TV shows of the last several years were on Netflix. I mean, Netflix probably had more of them than like everybody else combined. Now sure, that being but the that being said, let me yeah, yeah let, that continue, being said, continue. <laughs> none of those people are watching advertising. That was right. the weirdest part of this whole presentation. Yes. You wrote about it in your newsletter. I wrote about it in my newsletter. <laughs> it's like they're making it seem like advertisers could be part of these moments, and they can in really small ways. But there's such a small number of people using the ad service right now. It's early though. I mean, it's only been there for six months. And I think they were trying to create this narrative that they hope will carry Netflix into the next couple of years, that if you want to be in on the ground floor of the Netflix ad revolution, you will get in now. And yeah, it's only 5 million people now, but it's growing and it's going to be 30 million in a year, perhaps, or 50 or whatever it's going to be. And you've had some good stats noting that most of, not most of, but a lot of the new subscribers to Netflix are choosing the cheaper advertising tier. And that's a good sign if they can ultimately make more money off of those subscribers by serving them ads. So there were a few early stories within like two months of the, the debut of the service that were quick to talk about all the problems Netflix was having. And I have to admit, I thought all the early reports on the struggles of their ad tier were just way too hasty. I get that we're journalists and we want to immediately assess how things are working or not. But this company stood up an ad tier in less than a year. They'd never been in the business before. And actively shit all over it. 
They went with a super basic product, lots of functionality and features that you couldn't do yet. And so it was, of course, going to take time for them to figure it out. Now, that being said, some of the enthusiasm from Wall Street this past week, I also thought was kind of crazy. You know, the Netflix stock jumped eight or nine points the day after this presentation. Based on that enthusiasm, you talked about it like we're going to get to 30 million because you know, you want to know how you know that a lot of people haven't signed up for the ad tier so far. All the data says that most of the folks signing up are new customers, not people trading down, which is good because it means that there's not that replacement. But Netflix isn't signing up a lot of new people. They aren't adding a lot of new customers. Most of the people they are adding are in places where there's no ad tier. So this is really, you know, it's it's sort of classic Wall Street and Netflix where it's all about the promise. And I think it's safe to assume that advertising on Netflix will work, like advertising in premium video works. Netflix is premium video. It's the biggest service. The only question people have is, you know, is this really going to be a re- something that gets them an additional 10, 20, 30, 40, 50, 60 million customers? Or is it going to be something that only, you know, 10 would be bad, right? If they can add 50 million people because of advertising, that's probably pretty good. I don't know what the internal models are, but they need it to be a meaningful driver of new customers. Yeah. And it's interesting to see them go this route after years of saying, not only would we not do an ad tier, but the ad people are shameless and tacky and devalue the product and aren't customer first. The Reed Hastings line about wanting to delight the customer over and over. I kept thinking of that line when Ted Sarandos was up there talking about how they could come up with an ad unit like the old VHS and DVD units that were ads that played before the movie. When you would take home a rental, you'd have to watch an ad before the movie played. And I was like, that sucked. I hated that. Everybody hated that. And here's Ted Sarandos up there talking about how they could do something innovative for advertisers that would be akin to a product that consumers hated. I just felt like, like that was not something that Reed Hastings would have ever got behind. Well, or I don't, you know, even Reed has said that, you know, he's 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 only religious about a couple of things, customer satisfaction and operating profit or whatever his uh, his new talking point was starting a few months ago. I think that they have it's it's funny. They've tried to frame and they did it yesterday too. Peter Naylor, their kind of number two ad guy. They have framed this advertising service as one of choice, right, where previously they were not giving customers the option of paying less and sitting through ads. Um, some credibility people like to that. Cheaper. People do like cheaper, especially as the Netflix normal tier gets more and more expensive. People have shown that they are willing to sit through ads if it means a cheaper product. Um, you know, the only question I had, I was not among those who were crapping all over the Netflix ad service when it launched, but I did question whether people would trade down. And that is still an open question as to whether especially when they kick in the password sharing thing, then people may trade down. Yes. Yeah, so, so far, the answer is no. But I think you the last point you made is, is, is the most pertinent, which is the advertising tier is both a sort of an offering to price-sensitive customers who haven't signed up yet and an alternative for people when Netflix cracks down on password sharing, which is imminent. And so I think you you will probably see their advertisers, at least, are expecting a surge in customers when that happens. Right. And these are intertwined. I mean, the 
most of the analyst reports that I've seen have noted that this is all coming from the fact that the password sharing thing is about to kick in. They are very nervous about whether people are going to stick with Netflix. And if so, whether they're going to trade down to the ad tier. I think they want a certain amount of people to be lured into that ad tier because they they say, okay, if we're going to charge people, might as well move them to the ad tier because that's at least a less expensive version of Netflix. There was a study that B of A actually put out this past week that they surveyed a thousand Netflix subscribers in the US and Canada. And 68% of them said they would pay to continue password sharing. And 44% of them said they would take a discount for the ad supported tier. That's pretty good. That bodes pretty well, right? Yeah, I mean, here's also the the fact that I don't think enough people appreciate is even though the ad tier is cheaper from a subscription uh, perspective, Netflix makes more from customers on its ad tier than from its cheapest ad-free tier. Right. That's a key point. And that's why Hulu has been such a revenue driver because Hulu is the same way. Yeah. I mean, and and so having people sign up for it, trade down, what have you, in the case of password sharing, or even without it, is is not as damaging to the business as as I think some people might have thought. But yeah, I I, I never know what to make of those studies where they say, this is how many people say they're going to keep it. Because there have been studies that have said the complete opposite. I don't think we really know. So much of it is how this how this password sharing or how the password crackdown is presented, how how tight people feel at the time. Does Netflix have a bunch of, like, they're going to have to make sure they have a bunch of good shows to put out when that happens so that people have things they want to watch. The one that I would have more concern about if I were them is, you know, they've made some noise about the fast service. The, these are those, like, totally free, free ad-supported. Ad supported. It's like yeah. Pluto and Tubi. And it now feels like everyone wants to have one. Warner Brothers Discovery says they're going to have one. Netflix says they're going to have one. But that's one where if you told someone that they could just have free Netflix, like, how much do they make available there to ensure that it does not touch the big business? Oh, all of these companies have to be very careful about that because streaming has been considered to be television just on the Internet. Right. So if you go to people and say, oh, yeah, your streaming plan, it's going to be free now. You just have to watch some ads. You're going to switch to it. There's got to be a demarcation of the content, meaning you're not going to get to watch Stranger Things or Ozark or any of these big shows unless you are a Netflix subscriber. The messaging has to be this is a kind of lesser introductory, basic, basic, basic for people that just want you know, the equivalent of late night or syndicated programs, not. Yeah, it'll be this is how you can get your Netflix reruns. Yeah, but you're right. The messaging has to be key on that, because last thing you want, if you're Netflix is especially if you have an ad driven subscription tier is for people to just trade down to your fast service and say, no, I'm good. You know, I, I get everything I need there. Yeah. I mean, did you think it was weird at all during the um, I know you weren't in New York for the different presentations, but that they were doing these big song and dance shows with the strike happening and also with just like kind of the general cost cutting malaise anxiety. I think you got to put on a good face to scrap them. I mean, Paramount Global scrapped their upfront and did a series of talent dinners with the ad buyers. And they were trumpeting how great it was. First of all, those happened pre-strike. So they had 
stars at these events. And they didn't have to do the big CBS song and dance at either Radio City or Carnegie Hall, followed by the Tavern on the Green thing. Those are expensive. And we are in a down market. I think, though, the others feel like they've just got to go through the motions and put on a good face and pretend that all is well, even though, you know, by most judgments, the rest of the town is burning. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25000 miles on, I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, Tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. The Disney thing was the best. They're up there. They don't have Jimmy Kimmel like they normally do. He's usually a highlight. And they're going through about how great everything is. And then the same week, Disney Plus announces that they're purging a bunch of shows from the service, Hulu as well. And everyone freaks out about how they're going through these cost-cutting modes. And yet they're pitching advertisers that all is well and buy with us. Did you feel like the the freak out to that? How how would you compare the freak out to Disney purging to the HBO Max Warner Brothers Discovery purging from last year? That one felt like a 10 out of 10. Yeah, but that was first. I mean, when Warner you know, scrapped the Batgirl movie and started taking shows off HBO Max, I think everybody freaked out because they didn't know what was going on. It was a foreign thing to most people. And we've since learned over the past eight months, nine months, that this is what's going to happen. These companies spent a decade stocking their streaming services with shows that, for the most part, nobody watches. And they have to pay money to keep these shows on these services. So when you're in cost-cutting mode, like Disney is right now. They are in fire sale mode. I mean, it is getting grim. They've got to cut $5 billion in costs, according to Bob Iger. So, of course, they're going to look to Disney Plus and Hulu and say, okay, what is nobody watching here? Let's take it off the service and, you know, put it in the vault or put it away and try to make some money on it elsewhere. And if we piss off a few creators, that's kind of the cost of doing business. It's not a given that these shows are going to live forever on these services, even though we've been taught to believe that for the past 10 years of this peak TV era. So I think the the reaction was necessarily not as big of a freak out, although you did see it. And I heard from plenty of creators that said, you know, I expect this from 
Warner Brothers Discovery. They are a financially troubled company. But Disney? Disney's supposed to be the big kahuna here. And here they are acting like a small fish. Okay, I have, I have a take on this, but here's where I have... Did you please tell me you saw the video of the students booing David Zaslav? Of course. Are you kidding? I, I, I had about 35 people send it to me immediately when it posts. So he was at BU this past weekend, and he chose to go through with his commencement speech, even though... I, I think most people would say that's probably not a good idea during a writer's strike. You are probably going to get heckled as one of the biggest figureheads of the studio side here. Chose to do it anyway. And surprise, surprise, he got booed, heckled, said, you know, who said, pay your writers, yeah. uh, shut the fuck up. I mean, chants were really awful. I have to say, I was kind of surprised it happened. I was impressed with the students that they cared enough to do that. <laughs> oh, you were that. surprised at the protest? No, a little all, bit. The WGA Why, what do, what do, what do sent students people there. You, uh, well, okay. Yeah, the writers sent people there to protest. And, you know, you've got most, I'm sure, liberal-oriented students who are told that this is a union buster guy, even though, you know, he's letting the process play out. But it's not surprising to me that Zaslav would get booed. Maybe the the extent of it was a little surprising, but this is 100% predictable. He should never have put himself in that position. You know, the guys can't resist themselves. I, I guess. I don't know, though. He's, he's doing this big party at Cannes as well to With celebrate. With Carter, yeah. Yeah, he's doing a Graydon Carter party at Cannes to celebrate the 100th anniversary of Warner Brothers. It's like, dude, your town is burning and you're on the hill partying? Like, I don't know. Bad look. Well, it speaks to the total disconnect between the people at the top and and their their rank and file. But I and I so I don't want to def your your right to to critique them for that. I, I will be the stooge who stands up a little bit for the corporate entities on this one point, <laughs> which is the 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 anger about yanking stuff off the platform makes no sense to me. Because I mean, I get why you're. Well, you've never created a and, television show. No, 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 no. Sorry, I should. I should rephrase. I'd, the anger. I, I totally understand why people are upset about it. But logically, it's not that different from when a show gets would get canceled in the middle of its first season or at the end of its first season, and then it would basically disappear. Those shows don't get syndicated. They don't get. I mean, maybe they're like random DVD collectors' items somewhere. But when you make a show that people don't watch and never has no real cultural relevance. I don't know what you what you expect. We have been trained over the past decade to expect permanence, that these services pitch themselves to us as one-stop shopping for all of your entertainment needs. And if you want to watch Friends at three in the morning, you can watch Friends at three in the morning. And if you want to watch Why the Last Man, a Hulu show that was kind of scrapped in the middle and appeared on the service, it's always going to be there. That has been the messaging. And now the reality of the financial situation of these companies is causing them to take this stuff off. And I, I get the anger, but I am with you on the logic argument. I mean, I'm old enough to remember the pre-DVD era where even if a show was popular and it went off the air, that was the end. Obviously, you can go all the way back to to broadcast, and your only hope was that it'd be rerun there. Then in cable, the only hope would, would be that it'd get syndicated to some cable network or HBO or whatever it was. And so like everything, this is this is a little bit cyclical. We still have access to way more things than ever. It's it's really sucks for the creators of those shows. But unfortunately, if you make something that doesn't work, you know, that's what happens. I agree. And you know what? 
if you ask nicely, Disney will give you a DVD, I've been told. <laughs> uh, all right. So who, you went to all the presentations at the upfronts. Uh, who was the most impressive for, from your perspective? I mean, look, it's not a TV company, but the company with the best pitch is pretty clearly YouTube. They used to be in the new front, which was like kind of the JV group of, of digital video players. They moved into the upfronts a couple of years ago. You know, I, I think they're the biggest video advertising company in at least in the US, if not the world. They have the most users. Um, you know, the, the, the song and dance is sort of the same every year. It's like not the most inspiring as someone who's been to like nine of them, but they put on a really good show. They put their talent forward. They let that they, they, they are, their talent is not in the guild. So they, can yeah, all they're not unionized. There. They can all go up on stage and talk about how great YouTube is. They have, they had, they had Doja Cat perform. That's a great musical performance. They actually had a party. A lot of these other people scrapped parties. And if you're looking around and it's like, okay, how do I reach young consumers? How do I reach consumers in general? What's the one place, you know, everybody is? YouTube. It's not, it's not Disney. It's not Netflix. I mean, Netflix has a lot of people, not for advertising. But, you know, YouTube makes as much money, if not more, from advertising as Netflix makes from subscriptions and has a subscription business that's way bigger than Netflix's advertising business. And the brand safety problem? Uh, you said that they've made strides on this, but it's still, you know, my kid is on YouTube Kids a lot, and it gets to the Jesusy videos pretty quickly when you start at, you know, Ryan or, you know, guys fighting in the backyard. The brand safety thing is still an issue. First of all, I, I give you credit for keeping your kid on on YouTube Kids. Having done a bunch of reporting on it, I would say the majority of kids just watch regular YouTube, and so the well, that's even worse. Instead of getting to the YouTube Kids. Instead of getting to the Jesus stuff, they get to the beheadings. Yeah, exactly. Brand safety was a was a big issue for YouTube, you know, three to five years ago. It it remains an issue. They've spent a lot of money and a lot of resources in trying to make it safer. And while it remains an issue, even even when it was sort of peak hysteria, most advertisers still spent a lot of money on YouTube because there's no better place other than now maybe TikTok, but TikTok doesn't have a comparable ad business yet to reach that many people, especially that many young people. So they have the easiest pitch, I would say. So YouTube is the winner of the upfront. Who do you say is the loser? <laughs> I thought we weren't doing winners and losers. Let we me think we weren't, but I now mean, we are. Uh, <laughs> if I bring in the, the protest, it could be it could be that. I mean, shouldn't the loser be the... I don't know what to do with the Paramount. Like, should the loser be the company that doesn't compete? Even though no, they're the winner. Are you kidding? They stepped out in a year where everything went to shit. They get they get to be a winner. They're actually my winner. Yeah, I think I also there, you talk to a lot of people and they say that doing doing just private dinners like that makes so much more sense than these big presentations at this. Yeah, point. I'm hoping it catches on in regular years. I mean, the, I guess the loser because of everything else that happened has to, for the week has to be Disney, right? I don't know. I my loser is NBC Universal. I think oh, the fact yeah. that their head of ads, the woman who has been evangelizing the power of television and how you don't want to put your ads on those grimy social networks, you got to put it next to The Voice, which is a real show with a real audience and nice brand association. The fact that the evening before the upfront, she bails for Twitter, one of the biggest cesspools on the internet, like that's not great for your ad business. No, I mean, they, th that company has just had a pretty brutal last yeah, few months. Yeah, their CEO stepped down in a sex scandal. Like, that's that's not great. 
Okay, that's probably a better one. <laughs> All right, we will see how it plays. The best part of this is that we'll never know because they don't make these ad commitments public, so everyone can claim their. Yeah, although some of the some of the well sourced reporters get get some of that stuff. Oh, those are all BS, though. It's like, oh, Disney sells out their inventory. It's like, we don't really know what the, hor the horse trading that's going on. Yeah, we don't know everything. That is true. All right, we are back with the call sheet. Craig is out this week. He's hanging with the Gojo Swedes at Spotify headquarters. He's probably touring one of the world's largest Ikeas at this point. We don't know what he's doing. But I've asked Lucas to stay on for today's call sheet, and I'm going to turn the tables I'm going to make him do a prediction today. Thanks, Lucas, for saying. Happy to do it. We did learn that the largest IKEA in the world is in the Philippines. So Matt and I have just, are going to flip a coin to see who has to who has to go there. Our first live show, our first yeah. live episode of the town, filmed at an IKEA in the Philippines. Get your tickets now. So I wrote a story last week on Peyton Manning and his production company, Omaha, which is sort of this rising star in the world of, of sports media. Apologies to, to your partner in business, Bill Simmons. Peyton's <laughs> company is already worth more than The Ringer, at least when it's sold. Oh, it's now no. worth, more than, worth more than $400 million. Simmons has fewer passing records, though. So you wrote about Omaha. You wrote, you know, they have the Manning cast. They have Peyton Place. They have that new Netflix series, the golden touch about collectibles they've got a bunch of other productions besides just the manning cast and they have a lot of ambitions i know that i've talked to their agents they really want to create something big and lasting and perhaps sellable at some point so what's your prediction about omaha they just raised money from from peter chernin who big media investor big for, used to work for rupert murdoch now has an, a production company owns a bunch of different assets has been a very savvy investor they took a tiny tiny percentage because peyton wasn't interested in selling the huge stake but in the course of doing that story it was evident how much jimmy pitaro the head of espn espn more broadly and disney which owns espn cares and is invested in this entity so my prediction is that it, sometime in the next two or three years, Disney will either acquire or at the very least invest in Omaha Productions. Oh, that's a good one. Now, with all of these athlete-driven companies, the question is, what value does it have beyond that particular athlete appearing in the content? Because obviously, Peyton is a huge media star. He's super likable. He's got tons of fans and he's made smart choices. He didn't take a broadcasting job at a traditional outlet. He went off and he did his own thing. He created the Manning cast, which has become a thing. And in these other shows, he's not in them for the most part. So does that mean that he will escape that curse where the athlete does fine until they have to produce things that they're not in? I mean, I think there's they're sort of already there, right? He's when you you talk to Peyton, he sees himself and that company very much in the mold of what LeBron has been doing with his company Spring Hill, uh, what Reese Witherspoon did with her company Hello Sunshine, where the company is very much associated with the individual, and that helps open a lot of doors. It means yeah. people want to work with them, but they're not required to be in every project. I mean, they're in meetings and they care, and how much they're involved. You know, Peyton right now benefits. He's retired, right? So, like, LeBron needs his right-hand Maverick Carter to really run Spring Hill 
day to day. And LeBron gets involved, you know, when he can and where he wants to. Peyton is really involved day to day, much as Reese was with Hello Sunshine. Now, Reese had a, a really, really capable executive team at Hello Sunshine. Peyton's in the process of building that out at his company. That's the thing. It's all about the people around them. Because if you don't have great people uh, and it all falls on the athlete's shoulder, that's not their core competency. No. And you, to your point, for any of these businesses to, to get to a level where they're worth several hundred million dollars, a billion dollars more than that, and doing a lot of different projects, you know, Peyton has to function like a CEO or at least like an, an executive who only do, who's only involved in, in so much, right? He's not the, the on-camera star. And he doesn't want to be. Well, I think he should do a movie. Listen, if Tom Brady can have 80 for Brady, we should have Peyton Manning in a movie. 90 for Peyton. Peyton has 90. a better sense of humor than Tom Brady. That much. He is, does. He was is, a great SNL host. I mean, Peyton's like legitimately funny. So he needs to do more. All right. That's the show for today. I want to thank my guest, Lucas. I want to thank producer Jesse Lopez and for Craig. And I want to thank you. We'll see you later this week. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. You might say all kinds of stuff when things go wrong, but these are the words you really need to remember. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. They've got options to fit your unique insurance needs, meaning you can talk to your agent to choose the coverage you need, have coverage options to protect the things you value most, file a claim right on the State Farm mobile app, and even reach a real person when you need to talk to someone. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there.